Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to John Edmonds Cosmos Unimpressed Podcast with Gerard Heron. Looking good, J.E.K. How's the weather down in North Kakalaki? Nice weather down here. Now, were you able to make the trip all the way from uh, from New Jersey to North Carolina unharassed by our tyrannical governors here? You know what we did? I mean, it was uh, it was interesting to come down here and just to realize how intense uh, New Jersey is. You know, it's a little different. A little different. And I think me and my wife talked about it. We're talking about the awareness in New Jersey is, you know, I can't describe it until you come down here, come to the South and see a difference. And I think when you have, you know, people on TV every day perpetuating the situation, I don't know, you you tell me your thoughts. You haven't seen anything different because you're in. I'm stuck. You're Um, in New Jersey. Yeah, uh, we, we got off the plane in Nashville and Jersey and New York were already in quarantine when we landed. Last time I, I've been I, I've been outside of my hometown of Old Bridge. I've been staying at my parents' house. Uh like I told like I said in that in that COVID nineteen ninety nine video, you know, I'm I'm celibate, I'm unemployed, and I'm living in my parents' house. It's like my freshman year of high school all over again. Uh we touched down after an unbelievable weekend of shows with, with both tours, uh Catfish Cooley's Nitro Comedy Tour and, and Caroline Miljavik's uh She Laughs just an unbelievable weekend of shows at Zanies in Nashville. We touched down and boom, straight into Escape from New York. You know, and and anybody that follows my page, John, knows that I've been pretty uh, skeptical of our government reaction. Not the not the disease, obviously. You know, got to take whatever whatever precautions we need to take. But I've been very skeptical of how these people took to authority like frogs to water, man. I mean, it, you know, it turns out that sunlight and alcohol kill this thing, but they shut down the Jersey Shore. I mean, the Jersey Shore is nothing but sunshine and alcohol, dude. It, it, it's more about control than safety, and it has been for a while, and, and it really frustrates me. And uh, I know we've talked about this off air, but three strikes are out. I'm a baseball guy. Three strikes are out. Phil Murphy, the governor of New Jersey, has told me to leave three times. He's told me, if you don't like it, leave. Three different times. When did he say that? Oh, man. Well, first he said it two years ago when they were, he did when he was doing his town halls. Somebody came up to him. Uh, one of one of his supporters, you know, a, a, a union iron worker actually came up to him and said, hey, you know, the taxes are getting to a point where I just can't afford to live in this state. And he flat out told the guy, if you don't like high taxes, New Jersey's not the place for you. You should look for another place to live. That was his response. And, and that was like eye opening. And then this time around, he tells people, first of all, he's calling everybody knuckleheads for not using the parks that we pay for. Not using the beaches that we pay for. We pay more in taxes than anybody in the country, man. And this guy's like, I'll, if, if you're good, like, like a daddy, if you're good, I'll reopen the parks. Screw you, dude. You know, you, he says, uh, cause people are ticked off about unemployment. I put it in a gig unemployment claim six weeks ago, John. Six weeks ago, I put a claim in. I haven't heard anything back. So people are pretty ticked off about it that there's a, 
there's at least a six-week backlog on unemployment. And he says, if you don't like the way unemployment works in New Jersey, go to another state. Now, again, mind you, he charges you two grand to leave. New Jersey has an exit tax. We're, it's the mob, dude. We're run by the mob. This is the mob. Now, 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 Gerard, we don't pick sides. We take good things from everybody. So, Not Phil Murphy, John. We take good things from everybody. I got no problem with people who believe in the left, believe in the right. I don't care. Left wing, right wing, same bird. I don't care. If you support Phil Murphy, I I can't help you. Phil Murphy has told me, and Bill de Blasio, the same thing, man. You know, these two guys, they they told me to leave, so I'm looking to leave. So, you know, what I'd like to do is, is, uh, before we jump into last week's story, open it up to the comments. they want me to leave Jersey. Where should I go? I know that I, I love Nashville. I'm thinking about Tennessee. Should we go Atlanta? You know, the, the Hollywood of the South. I know you're partial to the Carolinas. Uh, I lived in Texas for a little while. I love Texas, but um, I, I think I need to be somewhere close to water. Where, where should I go, John, when this thing's over? Well, we're going to start the Bang uh, Network and um, TV network, OTT, uh, on-demand uh, program, Bang Productions. We're looking at opening up our own network. And, you know, hey, a good place to have it would be Charleston, South Carolina. You know, we satellite out of Nashville in L.A. We leave New York alone for a little while. I don't know, until... They get their stuff together, and hopefully everybody can uh, get back to some normalcy pretty soon. So you're going, you're going. So the plan here, the John Edmonds Cosmo plan, is to go from New Jersey to North Carolina to L.A. Back to Jersey to South Carolina to L.A. Your life is working in in, in circles, yeah. Here, man. You're working, We're you're working full, yourself back. Full swing. I don't. The headquarters, Charleston, South Carolina, would be a good headquarters for the bang television network i think that'd be a great spot and you know we can work there in nashville both places we're looking up setting up places in in each area so you so again i mean it's, it's crazy how your life is working in in uh in cycles here so you, so last week we talked about how you went from uh north carolina to jersey to la how you met eric niece who was you know the king of mtv at the time and and that you you were running in, in the circles. You, you had rented out Mick Jagger's old uh, office for seventy thousand dollars a year. Why why would you do that? That was know? not my decision. It was not my decision. But what what is a seventy thousand dollar office in what what was this two thousand? What is a seventy that? It was two thousand. Uh, see, that would have been two thousand seven, two thousand six, two thousand seven, somewhere in that ballpark. Okay. Same year. Same year. Hey, that's one thing we didn't touch. The same year we did the documentary with uh, Armin Van Buren in 2007. No, we didn't talk about that at all. We talked about Travis Pastrana and 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 uh, you know Nitro Circus. But uh, you worked with Armin Van Buren, the DJ. Yeah, we. It was weird. I was I was always in a lot of first. We were like the first people to be involved with enduro racing in America, and then I got involved. I always said the EDM music uh, before it was EDM would be the biggest music in the world. Well, I will uh, tell you this. I will tell you this. I, I, You know, as you know, I played five years of minor league baseball. I know a lot of guys from the South. You are the only guy I've ever met south of the Mason-Dixon line that liked EDM. Matter of fact, when we would play EDM in the clubhouse, it would drive these guys out of their minds. They hated it. It wasn't Jason Aldean. They didn't want it on. You're the only guy I've ever known. From that cultural, you know, the kind of the flyover culture that likes EDM. 
Uh, you know, is this something that you had before you met uh, Armin Van Buren? Were you always in the EDM? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, Eric, you know, when I met Eric in, in college, Eric Neese from MTV, and, you know, he always used to listen to house music. And that was way, I mean, that's 25 years ago. And, you know, that stemmed to one thing to another. And then the clubs, you know. Oh, yeah. The clubs awesome. had it. Or oh, even before that, I mean, I'm as old school as Junior Vasquez. Junior Vasquez oh. was, you know, Madonna's DJ, and that's I when Madonna kind of brought it. Madonna kind of brought him to a little bit of mainstream before EDM was EDM, and nobody really paid attention to that. But Madonna was really the one introduced EDM to mainstream music, and then when that that seal kind of broke open. That's when, you know, the Europeans started getting involved because they've been, you know, listening to this stuff for years and years and years because they're classically trained. And they, they don't, a lot of people don't realize that the EDM is really comes from a classical background. And they're that's composers. why. You see, yeah. yeah. Composers. Uh, well, that's, that was a story about Armin. You know, when I interviewed Armin, cool guy, he would ride with me to pick up Mariana at daycare when she was like, Two years old, picked up Mimi a couple times or whatever. Cool guy. But when I interviewed him. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You know, he'd never done a drug in his life. Really? And, yeah, never done a drug in his life. And his dad was uh, a classically trained composer from classical music. When he, he got his law degree and he says, I'm going to take six months off and try DJing. Well, hey, Armin, Armin Van Buren has his law degree? Yeah, Armin's a lawyer. He is a lawyer. You know, right after he got his degree, he took six months off to try to be a, a DJ and the rest is history. Playing in front of a thousand people at Tomorrowland, a thousand 21-year-olds rolling on Molly. I was involved in that with him in 2007 and that was, you know, that was before anybody even knew. I mean, and then when we, we did that documentary with him, we filmed him on New Year's Eve, 2007, downtown Los Angeles, and there was 15,000 people in a tent watching these guys there. And they had, uh, had uh, obviously had Armin, they had Ferry Corsten was there, uh, John and Sasha, uh, Digweed were there. They're really old school guys. Uh, so that was a very that was the Hall of Fame of uh, hence Armin Van Buren. You know how long was that? 13 years later, he's still my boy. I still talk to him every now and then. Remember, we saw Michael, his manager, in uh, in uh, the uh, Soho house. 
Were you with me that night? No, nah, I wasn't with you that night. He was in there. That was that was about six months ago. I think they were in town doing something. That music was good, man. It was different. And, and you're right, though. You know, culturally, we grew up on that in ways I don't think the rest of the country did. So a lot of like the rest of the country, the Jersey Shore on MTV was a coming out party for like EDM for a lot of people. And we were like, dude, we were going to nightclubs when we were 12 and 13 years old in Jersey. Like this is what people don't understand. It's a cultural thing. I'm not saying it's right either. As I look back at it as an adult, it's pretty gross. I have no idea how escapades and hunkabunka and, you know, chrome teen night, you had 15-year-olds going in and all you had to do was wear a wristband and you're in the same nightclubs as, as, as like 21, 22, 23-year-olds. It didn't make any sense. There's that whole strip down Route 35, uh, right as soon as you get off the bridge from Staten Island, uh, the outer bridge there, and then you get on Route 9 and Route 35, you had it within the same stretch. You had Abyss, Chrome, Hunkabunka, all within three miles of one another. All of them had teen nights, so you could be 13 to get into the nightclub. And then you go a little further down, it was nothing but strip clubs. You know, this is the environment I grew up in, and I had no idea that it was weird until uh, really after high school and I got out to because of baseball and I got a chance to see the rest of the country and realized, wait, you guys don't have... You guys don't have nightclubs for for preteens. That oh oh, it's creepy. Oh oh wow, yeah. Now that I think about it, you're right, man. <laughs> so, well, I, you know, I got a lot of that, uh, a lot of that culture from you know coming to the city too, as well. I mean, they had the Sound Factory during the Madonna times. I mean, that was the, when the Sound Factory was in that church. I can't yeah. remember exactly what street that was on, but he used to have a drag queen that worked the door there. She looked like Madonna. She was probably hotter than Madonna at the time. They're all gone uh, now, John. Webster's Hall, gone. The Tunnel, gone. You know, I think Marquis might still be around. Pasha, gone. All, I mean, these are, these are places, by the way, people that don't understand. These were $50 at least covers. You had to show up with two girls to every guy to even be considered to get in, and there were lines around the block. That beard is looking long as hell. Thank you, sir. Let's see here what we got going on. We got Mr. Catfish Cooley finally dialed in here. Let's see if I can get him onto his page here. We, I don't know if you were listening, Catfish, but we were talking about uh, the governor of New Jersey here tells everybody that doesn't like it they should leave. I'm going to take him up on his offer. And uh, we're just trying to decide what what the best place to go is. Where where do you think the best place to go? If I'm if my bags are packed and I, as soon as this this quarantine's over, I'm leaving. Where where should I go? My house. <laughs> yeah, I like it. What's the what's the rent like? I won't pay. Three fifty. I can pay it. All right, three fifty. I can handle that. Yeah, you just work out with me and be my friend and make fun videos and uh, eat together and drink beer and we'll call it even. I pay you a thousand dollars just to do that stuff. You can put me in a kid a uh, tent outside. Ian, you both. We both went. Uh, we need a gym, though. I, I, I need a gym. I'm losing. I power rack built my house. Do you see that? Yeah, I, wanted, I I tried calling you about that two days ago. You don't answer your phone worth nothing. I said, where the hell did you get these weights from, man? Yeah, I, uh, Daddy brought me all the weights. I got almost 700 pounds of weights, and I built that power rack out of wood, and it works good. I was wondering if you made them yourself, and you could send them over, you know, send me the uh, the recipe of how to DIY. Nope, Daddy, he gave me all the weights, the bar, I got an easy curl bar. I'm about to build me a uh, little pulley system so I can do some 
pull downs and stuff on it. I tried doing the the concrete weights, man, but they crumbled up on me. It didn't work at all. Like as soon as I yeah. dropped them, they broke up. They broke apart. I've been seeing a bunch of people say that that didn't work out too well. No, and and also I don't know if, if I'm just a moron. It was impossible to get the car concrete out of the bucket. Silicone spray. I ended up having to cut the bucket. I lost a bunch of five gallon buckets off of this. I got a new deadlift PR. Two days ago. No way. 625. What are you doing? You have no spotter over there, man. I'm just deadlifting. Shoot. Did you see the mountain? Thousand pounds? Yeah, 501 kilos. That was the best thing ever, wasn't it? He's the most well-proportioned 500-pound man I've ever seen in my life. He looks good. He looks like he's 225. He has a V from his left. <laughs> Down to his hip. He looks amazing. Did you see him sparring with McGregor? It looked like he was bouncing a toddler off his knee. <laughs> I've seen that. Yeah, it looked like a dad trying to get a hold of his little kid that took something he wasn't supposed to. <laughs> so, Fish, me and John were talking, right? It was really weird growing up where I grew up. Uh, we, we got into, like, EDM and house music. And then when I went and played ball, and I met a lot of guys from the South, and I, and I got into Southern culture and Midwest culture, you know, flyover culture, I realized they hated EDM. They weren't into it. Uh, you know, John was talking about how he produced a documentary with Armin Van Buren, maestro Armin Van Buren, and... It's just amazing. He's the first guy I ever met from the South that actually likes EDM, first of all. And then, then to know it well enough to be able to produce a doc on it. One, I wanted to ask you, growing up, because you grew up in Louisiana, and now you made your way over to Texas. So, I mean, you're 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 about as South as it gets without being actual Mexican, right? So, I mean, you're pretty South. Did you know of, first of all, did you know of EDM, house music, techno? Did you like it? Uh, and then also... What did you do as a teenager? What did you do as a teenager? Because we were going to clubs, believe it or not, at 13, 14 years old, which as an adult, it's gross. And then I want to ask you and John, since you both have daughters approaching their teenage years, would you let your 13-year-old daughter go to a club? Hey, I do not know what EDM is. <laughs> still, to this day, you don't know. We, we, I still don't know. <laughs> the guy or the girl, whoever the hell it is, but I don't know. Uh... And as far as clubs, where I grew up in Louisiana, there wasn't no such things as clubs. But about 13, 14, we started sneaking out and going camping every weekend. Mm. Uh, for years and years, we done it. And all we would ever bring was beer. We never brought no sleeping bags, no clothes, no tent. And then later in life, whenever Mama found out we had been drinking for the last three years, everything <laughs> She was like, I had no idea. I'm like, we literally never took anything. We come back smelling like fire and alcohol. <laughs> That's that. I don't know. I had a good time with it. I guess if my kids want to go camping and stuff in the woods, maybe they can have fun too. I don't know. I'm probably but, not good. But Catfish, didn't you go hide or something? Weren't you hiding? Oh, yeah. All my other brothers, they would get in trouble. They had a, a 11 o'clock curfew. And uh, I know that if they come in after 11 o'clock, like, they'd get grounded, they'd get the truck keys taken away, all this other stuff. So I figured out if I didn't come home for like a week or two, this is back before cell phones was real big. Just whenever you showed up back home and they saw that you were still alive, like, 
<laughs> Let him eat. He thinks. Let him go take a bath. You know, maybe he'll go to sleep and stay a few days. <laughs> yeah, if you go, if you go and break curfew, break curfew. Get away with it now, because everybody's got cell phones and Facebook and made a toad on herself. But we didn't have none of that. I gotta tell you, anybody that doesn't know about your your dad or your pappy, man, you would have to have a death wish to break that man's curfew. <laughs> that is the most intimidating human being I have ever been next to in my. I fought. I was an MMA fighter, and your father is the most intimidating human being I've ever been around in my life. If I was a child, I would not break that man's laws. I, I promise you that. The manliest man. He's the manliest man. He's the single manliest man I've ever met. Papa Batters. <laughs> <laughs> he's a big boy he's stout i remember the first time i grabbed him he's like grabbing a, a bull brick wall you can't do nothing with him what about you john if you uh would you let your your daughters coming to that age where we were going to clubs would you let your daughter go to a club right now at her age hell no <laughs> <laughs> hell no i'll go to see uncle armin van buren she is definitely not going to the club Hey, I'm going to go see Uncle Ar Armin at Tomorrowland. Like, hell you are. <laughs> hey, you talked about music drawer the other day. All Daddy listens to, as you could probably guess, is just old school country music, you know? Yeah, he seems like a George Strait guy. Yeah, yeah, very much a George Strait guy. You got that right. <laughs> but uh, the other day, whenever he was coming home, he was riding his motorcycle. So I told my neighbors, I said, watch this. As he was pulling up down the road, I hollered, Alexa. You know, play Metallica. And whenever he was getting off his motorcycle, he just went to hollering and cussing. And he walked up there, he goes, if this is all we're going to listen to, he said, I'm going to go job some cotton balls in my ears, get drunk and sleep with my cap. <laughs> I said, who don't like Metallica? He's like, and listen to that heavy metal junk. <laughs> he told me the next day, he said, it did something to my brain. <laughs> listen to that music go to jail for doing bad stuff. I said, do what? He said, as soon as it penetrated my brain, he said, my first instinct was to throw my lunch case and kick my motorcycle <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you don't you don't need a man with a sixty five inch chest to, to Hulk up. He, he should be listening. Like John was talking earlier about classical music, he, we, we should. It's like keeping the Hulk calm. You don't need the Hulk to get angry. You know, let's the, we don't need to. You know, don't throw him Slayer. Whatever you do, play no Slayer around him. All right, yeah, it'd be a total meltdown around here. We'd be on CNN. I cannot wait for the world to hear your song. I don't know. I don't know what the plan is, John, but I know that. Uh, you know, nobody really knows about it. Coronavirus destroyed the uh, the momentum we had going there. But uh, John set up a recording uh, session, for those that don't know, with uh, some of the biggest producers in, in the country down in Nashville. I, I was down there in studio listening to the two number one hits of the summer being made. Mark my words, if you're on this live, you're hearing it now. I know DJ Slim dropped a little bit. A couple weeks back, but let me tell you something. When these two songs come out, I shut know. it down. Game is over. I do. Sure did. That was uh, it was amazing. I'm proud of how good they turned out. Super uh, proud. Hopefully, yeah. we'll have some uh, clarification on that this month uh, because stuff is just they're just people are getting their marching orders as far as venues and so forth. I know that um, South Carolina had given marching orders to some of the venues that we had some live shows at. And, you know, I think the music industry in one is dealing with the same thing that we're dealing with on the comedy side. So the, the current acts they have, uh, I think they're trying to get them situated with their schedule as far as live shows go. 
And then once that's uh, solidified and everybody knows where they're going, then we re- can reconvene. Hopefully we get that thing, at least get one of the music videos out in July would be great. Yeah, I would, I, that would be awesome. Especially right. the first quarter, I'd like to be able to do that one for sure. Right around the same time our Christmas horror comes out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be the first people in the history of of modern cinema to release a Christmas-themed horror in the middle of August. A horror-themed Christmas movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Where is Wit? Where is Mr. Wit at? No, I ain't talked to him in a few days. No, I ain't talked to anybody. Everybody's been cussing me. I broke an iPhone XS 6.5 inch. So now I'm buying my third replacement kit to fix my phone. So my wife's not proud of me for doing that. So if anybody needs a replacement for a 5.8 or a 6.1 iPhone XR, y'all hit me up. I'll sell it to you. According to the Internet's Catfish Cooley, uh, approximate net worth is $15 million. Your celebrity net worth is <laughs> So you don't why, – why are you trying to fix your own phone? Like you, Get like you a new phone, Catfish. Like you're some Beijing sweatshop. Oh, that phone's like three, four months old. I'm using the same phone right now that I started making videos with just about. I've had this phone for like six years. This is the Whiskey Wednesday phone. This is the iPhone 6 Plus S that I started with before I – Ever even got with my lady? Job on this one because my God, she's still working. Well, I did. I got to tell you before before you came on, I was telling John I was such a big fan of yours from the Whiskey Wednesday Wednesdays and then Tosh Point oh, uh, you know, get a chance to work with you. Uh, we mentioned it a little bit last week. You know, one of the really really uh, cool things, like you know, I know Catfish knows and John knows, but I've been comedy now for eight years and I've, I've met a lot of people. And one of the really disappointing things is how different. Uh, people are from their like stage persona and um yeah. you know I, I didn't uh like like meeting larry the cable guy was one of the most disappointing moments of my life like like un- like that was a, it's a complete work it's a complete character and i was like whoa this is crazy but i, I gotta tell you man being a fan of yours for a long time and then having you know working with you has been such a blessing and and you are you're you man like you, this is you twenty four seven. The same person people think you are. It's it, it's twenty four seven. And you say, like uh, John was saying, it's a, it's the guru moments. You really do. If you hang out with Catfish for for anything longer than an hour, he'll just say something in passing that'll make you go, "Damn, I never thought of that. That's crazy, man." A how to guide for dummies in a human version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, to the point that I can understand it. So when I say it, other people get it too. Absolutely. You like you like people think you're dumb, but but you ain't dumb, bro. You look everything in life, you know. Stuff's just simple if you just sit back and look at it. People put too much in everything, like a Sibian machine. <laughs> I tell y'all about my advice on uh, people who uh, get mad because their spouse keeps cheating and they keep going back to them. To me, if if they've cheated on you two or three times and you keep going back to it, it's kind of like having your old favorite three-wheeler that, you know, you love riding, but every time that you depend on it, you need it, it's going to foul a spark plug and leave you all by yourself again. It's going to foul that spark plug. You can't get mad at it the next time it fouls a spark plug. You just got to push that thing back home, clean the spark plug out, and enjoy riding it again when it's your turn. I, I, I actually have a little bit of a different opinion on that. It's a little bit callous. So some of the women that are watching right now probably aren't going to like this. But I think some people just like being the victim. I think people like 
the attention that comes from being the victim. Well, why don't you leave him? Well, he's a good man because you like the attention. You know he's going to mess up. And then you love, you can't get a hug in your everyday life. The only way you can get a hug is, is by getting just absolutely emotionally destroyed by this person you know is going to emotionally destroy you. They actually get enjoyment by calling people and crying and telling them, you know, how bad they get treated and how upset they are and how bad it makes them feel. They enjoy the sympathy they get from the other people more than they enjoy the commitment from the person that's not committed to them. Bingo. That's my feeling. That's my feeling on it. And that's the guru moment right there. Guru moment, baby. That's the guru moment. It's true. We all know somebody like that. We we all love somebody like that. Like, I have family that's like that, where it's like, listen, I'm not going to tell you again to leave this person. This has happened. This is like, I can set my... I can set my calendar to this. Oh, you know, you got the summer solstice, the winter solstice, and when you find him cheating. Like, <laughs> how many times? Hang or two in life. I always tell people to be happy. And it's hard to say that because some people get happiness out of being miserable. As bad as it is, it's the truth. When you talk about uh, pressure, you know, people live off pressure. I finally saw that movie with Adam Sandler, and that director in that movie with play and people always get ask me like why do you play these undertone music the best the best movies and the best content are driven are driven by music but in that movie they the way they scored the movie is almost like how he lived his life intensity you know what i'm saying does that make you understand what i'm saying does that make sense yeah you're talking yeah. about uncut gems right yeah, uncut gym. So it's like you're experiencing this pressure, and it, it goes back to the same thing you said, catfish in a relationship. You know, people sometimes put themselves in a position where they want the pressure they're used to. Yeah. You know, same way in life, which is a very interesting uh, take, but it's the truth. I would take it a step further, actually. Um I agree with you, but I'll take it a step further. I think, and I saw this a lot in baseball, you know, not to keep harping back to baseball, but it, but it, it just... Gerard, you, you, Gerard, you played baseball? But I, I saw this a lot. And it, you, from the NBA playing baseball, John. <laughs> but you... Uh, but you see it in politics and you see it in Hollywood. You see it everywhere where there's like high, these high stakes jobs. I think people take to drugs or they take to alcohol or they, you know, get into abusive relationships because it's an out if they don't make it. It's it's very hard to do everything the right way all the time. It's very hard to be disciplined and not make it and have to sit there and look in the mirror and be like, damn, I just wasn't good enough. That's on me. It on something else. It's easy. Exactly, Fish. It's easy to say, ah, if I just, if I never took to the bottle, I could have made it. If I just, if I never took those pills, damn it. They no. knew it. They knew at the moment they were making that decision. I honestly think, and John, this is to your point, the pressure is so high that they need to give themselves an out. They have to give themselves that out. Yeah, I agree. It's a very difficult thing to sit there and say, I wasn't good enough. It's a very, very hard, as somebody that's had to do it multiple times, it's a very hard thing to not look for an excuse and to say, damn, I, I, I just, I, I wasn't enough. Experiences myself, Gerard. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, this, is, this is the first time this has ever happened. This has never happened before. I said, what do y'all do as comedians? That's, that's why I told Gerard, pick, pick your spots, right? Pick your spots of positivity and talent 
but it seems like when there's nothing going on, y'all y'all want to bury yourself yeah, when you're I very, think, very talented people. I think happiness is, or, you know, being miserable or anything is nothing more than the perception in which we perceive it, you know, because you listen to his comedy, my comedy, Andrew's, Ginger's, you know, Darren's, Squirrel's, Gary's. We all build our comedy from dark spaces in our life, mm. things that, you know, should have broke us. But we flipped it and made a positive out of it, you know? That's something that, that I talked to uh, Carol Ann about, John, and I know that I've talked to you about it. One of the hardest things about this uh, quarantine, when you, when you stop moving, the darkness catches up to you, like what Catfish was saying. It, you know, it, it sounds like a weird thing. Um, you know, because we're, we're, we have so much fun and, and we are funny and, and, you know, we have a lot of life, but you know, when there's nothing around, when all the noise stops, happiness is not my go-to setting. Like that's, I don't wake up every day happy and positive. I have to actively pursue happiness. I have to actively pursue positivity. And, yeah. you know, when you're just stuck to your own thoughts, all of the missed opportunities, all of the negativity, you know, all of your failures just come crashing down on you. And, you know, for me, comedy is such an outlet to be able to to look at that and look at those moments and to Catfish's point, be like, well, you ain't killed me yet. <laughs> you know, so you, you, you've tried, you've tried, but I ain't dead yet. You know, I'm still here. Uh, and I think that that's the power. And, and that's really, you know, selfishly, one of the reasons I really want to get back out on the road as soon as possible, because I feel like there's a lot of people that feel the same way and they just they don't have an audience and they don't they don't have a voice. You know, so a lot of people I've been stuck inside with nothing but their darkness. And it's something we don't talk about as a society. It's not a fun topic, but, you know, we, we need to get back out there and, and tell people that it's okay to laugh. It's okay to smile. And, and it, you know, it, it's okay to have these thoughts and then sit there and say, but you ain't got me yet. You ain't got me yet. Anybody that says they're happy all the time is lying. You know, it comes up in and out of our life on a daily basis that, you know, we can choose to take it, be happy about it or sit and dwell on it. Like John said, I'm one of the worst ones. He worries about me to death whenever we sit at home for a long time because, you know, I, I am a happy guy. I'm generally always half glass full type of fellow. But, you know, after two or three weeks of sitting around and, you know, I'm used to doing stuff. I come from working on, you know, a job where I worked all the time and then I come into this. And, you know, there's only so many videos you can make. And, you mm -hmm. know, once you start realizing you're at home every day, it don't matter if you got money coming in or not. You know, you start feeling like you're not doing anything. And if you feel like you're not doing nothing, you start freaking out and worrying and about stuff that doesn't even matter. And I called John the other day, and I'm like, you know what? I had to sit down and rewatch some of my old videos and take some of my own advice. <laughs> because I was like, I was the person that I was telling them not to be, just from mm -hmm. sitting here thinking about stuff you can't change anyway well you, t you take on a lot of other people's issues too though i mean that's one thing about you i will say i mean you are you're such a giving person that you take on and it really does if i can focus on fixing their stuff i don't realize my own issues <laughs> I, I, well, I think I john shares i think john one of the things that keeps john motivated all the time and i don't want to speak for you john but you know just just something i've noticed is you know you for all of your hard unimpressed gruff exterior uh, you really do care about other people. And I think yeah. that you you take on a lot, like you take on a lot of other people's issues and, and you both of you guys are problem solvers. So if somebody comes to you venting about something, it's going to sit on you until you solve that problem, you know? So 
you know, in a situation like this where it's okay to be selfish, guys like you, I think, are hit even harder than most other people because, frankly, me, I couldn't care less. <laughs> so your problems are your problems. Deal with it. But you guys, you guys are problem solvers, and you want to help people, and that's that's – that's something that's got to be sitting on you heavy right now because you really can't do anything. What can you do right now? Well, I think, too, is like, I don't know, each like each person in our group. I mean, I think you got it's weird. It's, it's almost like managing a, a social media account. You got to know the tools in the toolbox. And based on the personality of that person, you got to manage them, cater management around their personality uh, and kind of expect 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 where they're going before they're going there. Yeah. And um, that's somewhat of a, and I think me and catfish are very similar to some extent with that. Cause it's like, we look at people, you know, based on who they are and then make judgments after that. A lot of people, a lot of people can generalize, try to generalize, generalize everybody. And I don't think you can, deal with people like that on a one-on-one basis animals whenever you get a new animal you can't set this cage up the same way you do as another pet you got to set that cage up for that pet individually you know speaking of animals catfish out here looking like a ninja turtle look at you you ain't got no neck you got nothing but you got nothing but chest shoulders and and traps man like what are you i don't got no ears (laughs) you're the only guy in america that's going to come out of quarantine with a lower body fat percentage you actually you're actually taking this time and getting yourself and you fighting shape who's who's next up after sandman i don't know now you did see that uh hofthorgerson and eddie hall's gonna fight i did see that. Oh yeah, they're gonna do a boxing match. They don't have the cardio. They, these guys don't have the cardio, man. Well, they got they got until now to September 2021 to train. So uh, they're both taking it serious, and they're gonna lose a lot of weight. And uh, thinking with Robert Oberst a while back, telling him that if you ever needed to box somebody, I'd box him. So Burns Oberst, if you want to fight. Hit me up. <laughs> this is what I want. John, you, you got to set up a tag team match. Let's call our boy Al Snow and, and get Al Snow involved. Let's get a tag team match. Catfish Cooley, Gerard Heron versus Juji Mufu and Steve. And, and <laughs> Steve's walking around at 225 out of nowhere. I love Juji and Tom. The box of bones and tricks Wit had with all his damn people. Were, I don't want to get anybody hurt. The Al Snow was a man. I got nothing but good things. He was incredible. Yeah. And that's a little, by the way, uh, everybody listening has a little inside joke, giving Wit a hard time. But uh, yeah, they said Al Snow was a stellar guy and kicked ass on the movie set. Yeah, so was so was John Wells, uh, another actor. John Wells was incredible. Sarah Cleveland was phenomenal. Sarah actually had her uh, one of her independent films drop today. I'm excited for the movie. I know that we're messing around, but I'm really excited. Fish was great. Andrew was phenomenal on set. Um, I I think it's. I, I wish that they would have had a behind the scenes though. We could have had a Tropic Thunder style movie, the making of the Whitler, that would have been one of the funniest movies ever made. I wish people could see what happened behind the scenes on that movie. Genuinely had so much of a good time making that. That you're right. We could have filmed everything in between scenes and made a movie out of that. That's what Omo Omo, the cinematographer, this very very talented cinematographer who actually comes from, I believe, Nigeria. Uh, he came over and he says uh, he's setting up all of his you know shots, John. And he would say, "Mr. Wit, Mr. Wit, these are the funniest men I've ever seen. Why you no make comedy?" <laughs> 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 
Hey, you remember the nickname I gave him because he was going so slow? Yeah, yeah. He said, "I mean, this guy's ridiculous, John. I mean, the shots were incredible. This guy, his cinematography is through the roof. His vision is great, but he was meticulous. Three o'clock in the morning, resetting fifteen times, and you know, uh, <laughs> thank God it wasn't a union shoot. Let's just put it that way." And cinematic centipede. He laughed until he cried when I called him that. Remember? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Roman Roman's like, I- I'm getting a day rate. I'm not getting paid by the hour. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I believe he's, do- I believe he's doing the edit the same way. I give you a hard time, Win. I love you, buddy. No, that's Omo. 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 Oh, Omo. I love you too, Omo. Oh, I love you too, Omo. Oh, Fish, I think it's been good. We're going to try to do this every week. Yeah, the internet's a fun place to live sometimes. We'll do this every week and uh, have the Catfish Cooley Guru Moments thing. Y'all check us out, the Unimpressed Podcast. Yes, sir. I love y'all. Thank y'all for having me on, boys. I hope I get to see y'all soon. And for everybody else, y'all stay classy, stay positive, stay sexy, by God. We love you. You're the best, Fish. Catfish I love you, gentlemen. Face. I love you, Catfish. I love y'all. Bye, brother. Damn, he's just, he's just one of the genuinely best human beings on Earth, man. He's just as good as it gets. I want to finish the story of it. You were all the way at the top, and then it came crashing down. Something I can empathize with. Uh, and then I want to know how you rebuilt yourself because I think that that's a very important it's a very important lesson for a lot of people right now because they are are uh, 30 million Americans that are going to need to hear this story and know that, you know, hopefully it inspires them to not give up, not give up hope. You know, people are losing their businesses. They're losing their savings. They're losing their livelihoods. And this happened to you a decade later. You know, you're one of the, the, the key figures in not just the comedy uh, world, but in, in the entertainment world, you know, I, I think it's a very important story that we need to get to. Yeah, thanks for everybody to listen and and uh, paying attention to what we have to say. You know, I say being famous is uh, is having a voice in the community, and what you do with that voice is very very important. I think it comes down to decisions, right? When you're trying to pursue a career, and you make certain decisions that stand through whether they're good or bad. And how strong of a will you have to maintain your goals. That's a big thing. And when I say, you know, decisions, because I went down a path for several years and and I thought, you know, I call it the vapor. I was um, a little misguided because I thought things were happening uh, that weren't happening. And I thought people were doing things that they weren't doing. And I think you got to understand how people are in each specific business. And once you understand how people are in each specific business, I think that's when you can become successful because you plan for those, those things that are going to arise based on experiences you had with those same, same type of people. So I think it's recognizing people in a specific business and not making those decisions again. When I was in LA and I thought, you know, did the Nick Cassavetes thing and, you know, I knew everybody and I thought I was on the way as being a big time uh, film producer. It's knowing, you know, knowing how people respond in a specific business. And, and that's very important because 
once you have those experiences and you learn how people are going to respond, if you have your eye on the ball, since my company was grossing 800 to a million dollars a year with Red Bull, left Red Bull to try to make the movie with Nick Cassavetes. Well, we didn't get to that left, last week. Well, left, left LA with zero money in my pocket in 2008. I left LA broke. So when I say understanding people, in a specific business, that will teach you more than anything you can read, you can watch in your whole career. And whatever career that may be is understand the people in your business first and understand their what how their decisions affect your success, I think is very, very important. And me leaving L.A. broke was a wake-up call, made me reflect on how people handled themselves that I was dealing with. So when I stayed on this path, I made sure I didn't deal with the bullshit that I dealt with when I went home from L.A. or went back to the East Coast broke. So I think that's very, very important in whatever you do in life and whatever you do in business. And that's a point well taken. But just to circle back, so last week we left off, you're you're staying in, you, you know, you're, you're, you're living in L.A., you're uh, best friends with one of the biggest MTV VJs, you have a production company that has a $70,000 a year uh, rent um, right there on Sunset and Vine, can't get bigger. Uh, and you're working with Red Bull. You're you're touring the entire world. You're 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 on location in Prague. You're all over Europe. You're dealing with Travis Pastrana. You're we learned today. You're you're in a documentary with Armin Van Buren. Things can't get better than Nick Cassavetes, the director of The Notebook. Uh, you sign a deal to do a movie with him, right? There's a little bit of an interesting story that I know behind the scenes. If, if you want to tell them about that, that's pretty interesting about about the how, how that deal was signed. Very, very L.A. Very Cassavetes, L.A. Well, it was totally opposite of L.A. It's totally opposite of L.A. because nobody does that shit because they were like, who is this guy? And I I went, this is a true story, when we hired Nick Cassavetes to write this script for a film called Kentucky Rhapsody, they said, hey, you want to do this? I said, let's, let's meet and I'll give you $250,000 to get you started. Right. And most people in L.A., they lawyer up. It takes three months to write a contract. I met him that night, did a contract on a napkin and gave Nick Cassavetes a check for two hundred fifty thousand dollars. And they thought I was crazy, which I probably was. But maybe I just didn't know no better. So that when I say learn the people in your business, that was a big experience and um, true story. Yeah. So obviously, uh, Kentucky Rising was a story that was never made. Uh, Kentucky, he, Rap- he, Kentucky Rhapsody. Kentucky Rhapsody. Did, did he did he write the script? Did he complete the script? He did complete the script. He was going to direct the movie, but I don't think they brought the resources to the table they should have. To direct the movie, and I, you know, I told them all to go fuck themselves. Really, I mean, it was um, once I once the once the, once the you know the fame and all the bullshit subsided, you know, and all the names and all that you get hype. I'm seeing somebody famous and this and that. I started looking at things opposite. I said, if you're the most famous person that I meet, I ain't gonna give them any value. 
Because they got to prove shit to me. That's what I learned. The 250 grand was big, big, big. That's a big move. Um, and this is at the same time that you left Red Bull. So you didn't have any income coming in. No, no. I mean, I just took a shot on, you know, being a movie producer. And, you know, and to, to Cassavetti's defense, you know, if we would have handled things a little more professionally, you know, on our end, a few things, you know, it might have went a little better. But I'm a person of... You know, if you tell me something, then do it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you know, stand by your word. You know, like I like to say, if I if I John Edmonds Cosma tells you something, you can write it on the wall because I want to do it. And, you know, if I'm if I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to say it. That's very, very important to me in dealing with people and everything I do is stand by your word. So you, so again, I mean, it, it, what what's the in what type of time frame are you going from being on Sunset and Vine, having a having a very successful company, production company, you're making you're you're making Red Bull content, you're making documentaries, uh, and then you, you give a quarter million dollars on a on a napkin contract. It all kind of it seems like the kind of the bottom fell out there. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you think that money that you've been making, the money I was making Red Bull. You know, the money I was making producing other things. When you think that money will always be there when you don't have your eye on the ball, you know, and I had a little too much fun too. You know, I should have, there were some expenditures I shouldn't have partaked in during my time out there. And that was, that was part of the learning experience. So yeah, it's keeping your eye on the ball. Don't think that the money will always be there, especially if you're in entertainment because it won't be. Well, that's a lesson um, I think the whole country's learning right now. Yeah. So, I mean, anything could happen at any time. And that's that's what the world's doing right now. And that's the entertainment business. How, how did it actually end for you in L.A.? How did it actually end where you were like, I got to get out of here. I got to head back to Jersey and uh, start over. Uh, when my parents told me I could move into my, my grandfather's house in uh, North Caldwell, New Jersey. The house, wow. Yeah. The house had been empty. I don't know, for a year, maybe. Uh, and they said, you know, keep your business going. You know, the other big factor was Mariana. They wanted Mariana to be back on the East Coast. So they uh, said, hey, move in uh, Uncle Mike's house. You can, uh, you know, be close to New York and rebuild. And that was, like I said, that was August of 2008 and started rebuilding then. And that's uh, 12 years ago. It had to be a very humbling experience going from, you know, Sunset and Vine to, to North Caldwell, New Jersey. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a very eat crow type of deal, but you make me a street sweeper, I'll be the best street sweeper you ever met. Like I had to bartend and do some things that I didn't particularly want to do, but I did them. And I mean, when I bartended, I made myself the best bartender at where I work, and I was the best bartender at where I worked, and I, I killed them. I used to kill it in tips, too. Well, that's one of the things that bothers me about this whole essential employee nonsense, and it's like, you know, every every single job that puts food on the table is essential. Every single job that, that helps you chase your dream is essential, you know, so I, I, that's one of the things that, you know, not not to get too far off it, but, like, for you, you're in the you're in the entertainment business, but at that moment in time, bartending was an essential job for you. And there's no, I, you know, people put so much, you know, pr, you know, labels and stuff. You, you can't be too proud to work, man. You really can't. You can't be too proud to work. 
And, and there's there's nothing beneath accomplishment. You know, I see this in comedy all the time. Kathy Griffin did this a few years back where, you know, she got in trouble for cutting Trump's head off. And then she said all the theaters wouldn't have her anymore. She's like, I am not going back to clubs. It's like, lady, what are you talking about? You got to work. Then you're not a comedian. Like, I don't understand this whole concept of people not not willing to work in a time where everybody needs to work. Shake it off. What's that song? Shake it off. Shake. Yeah. What's the song? Is to shake off the dirt? Was it Jay Z song? Uh, uh, dust off the shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get the dust off the shoulders, folks. Get back to work. Let's go. What was what was the big uh, the big break the second time around? Because when when we met, we talked about this a little bit. You know, I was I was a young comedian. And a screenwriter, and I had been doing some writing and stuff like that, and and um, you know had had a, a little bit of experience in television, and we got together on trying to pitch a show, and we actually got it out there. You got us hooked up with uh, Chris Case, got us some interviews at you know TBS, and you had three or four other shows that you were pitching at the time that I thought were really good. I thought they were really really good concepts, and then you made the switch. You decided to make the switch from pitching network traditional pitch TV pitches and pitching network to doing, I mean, you were at the forefront of this quote unquote, you know, influencer uh, marketing, um, you know, where, where you decided to build individual brands in a non-traditional manner. Um, what, where, where did that idea kind of, kind of come from you? And, and what made you think like this could work? I'm going to bet on on these people nobody's ever heard of and I'm going to make them you know I'm going to going to give them access to to you know an international fan base that's going to make them wildly successful. Uh it was all by discovery. Uh I think it was knowing I think the difference is is no I came from mainstream and I know how mainstream entertainment works and I think the combination of learning coming from mainstream entertainment and learning the social world and given the social world value that mainstream should give social uh, instead of discrediting it, the, the social environments, they discredit it. And um, I think that was the difference. I mean, it was all by discovery. I didn't know what I was doing and I just learned a process and created a blueprint that we've implemented for four years now, you know, successfully. Were you casting? Like, where, where did you, where did you, uh, what I'm saying is, is like, where did you make the switch? Like, were, were you trying to cast for one of the shows that you were pitching? And then you said, wow, why do I even need the rest of this? I just need yeah, that, well, that one person. Yeah, well, I mean, we had had some success. We sold three shows, sold two to History Channel and one to USA Network. So we had gone full-blown development and we were looking for characters. And I saw one video of Darren Knight online and I said, somebody missed this dude. Mm -hmm. And everybody I talked to about it in LA and everybody else said, you're out of your mind. I yeah, said, I was, I was there with you. I was there with you when they were like, what's it's a, it's a YouTube star. They looked they like literally were like, what, what's what a YouTube and I, star? And I hate that. Do your research. That's the same thing as news. Do you, it wasn't a YouTube star. We built the whole, we built this whole business off Facebook. So yeah, yeah. He's a, so, he's a YouTube star. So I hate that 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 deal but yeah we uh saw him saw one video went to work and you know be four years coming up the end of june since i signed him and here we are H had you done had you done live events because such a big 
part of the Bang universe is, is the, the videos, sure, but then the live events are like, it's like you, you turn comedy into rock and roll concerts. There's meet and greets, there's merch, there's lines around the block. It's, it's like nothing that I had ever seen in comedy before, like ever. Um, ha- have you done live events before this? Setting up the next show and what we can discuss is the big live event we did uh, in New York when I came back to the East Coast in 2008 and and in 2010, this uh, professional boxing match we did at uh, Ohika Castle. It was 105,000 square feet private residence in Long Island. And we can talk about that story uh, next time. Well, I think that sounds good. We'll talk about uh, how we got into the the uh, the live uh, the, the live events, and then also how, how we, we you know you went from talking about Darren Knight and uh, how the two of you together were like uh, Gordy Berry and Motown. Man, I mean, it, it's uh, Darren became the fastest rising comedian in American history, and, and the two of you guys, you know really turned the the comedy game up on their head. Yeah, man. I mean, this was a a great episode. We covered a lot. Again, sorry for the technical difficulties, but uh, man, this is fun, John. I I, I hope you stay away from every Friday. I had a good time, and we'll see you guys next week. Cheers, everybody. Gerard Heron and John Cosma, the Unimpressed Podcast. Thanks for checking it out. See us next Friday at 4 o'clock, right, John? Yeah, 4 p.m. All right, Eastern. See you later, folks. Check out bangproductionstv.com for all your entertainment information. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.